You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. And we start with a huge surge in immigration that has pushed BC's population to more than five and a half million people. But as Richard Zussman reports, even as the province absorbs record population growth, there's also a troubling exodus with thousands no longer willing to stay. Alberta is calling and British Columbians are answering in record numbers. There are tons of people out here from BC. Michael Lundstedt, his wife and son moving from Langley to Okotoks, just outside Calgary earlier this year. The reason? His wife's cancer care. We were getting stonewalled and seeing failings uh, from BC Cancer and we made the decision to increase her overall survival and overall quality of life. Uh, we made the decision to move out here. Lundstedt says Alberta has fewer health care barriers and more access to specialists. His family's move part of a growing trend. For the first time in 20 years, more people left B.C. for another province than arrived here from somewhere else in the country. A net 12,800 people moving somewhere else since July 2022. And Alberta gaining 17,094 people from other provinces, the highest in the country. We still have people who live here, who grew up in our communities, who can't find a place to live, don't, find, uh, don't see hope to be able to stay in their community and raise their kids. That's the big reason why BC has pushed through legislation to open the door for more housing. But it can't come soon enough. While it's the fastest rising in Canada, Calgarians pay an average of $1,950 per month for rent. In Vancouver, it's $3,100 a month. In Edmonton, the median price for a single-family detached home to buy, nearly half a million dollars. In Surrey, nearly $1.5 million. People are abandoning British Columbia because, you know, after seven years of NDP government, we've become the most unaffordable province in the country. And while more people are leaving this province for other provinces, more people are arriving here in BC from other countries. In the last year, StatsCan shows 150,000 permanent residents are now calling BC home, and more than 117,000 non-permanent residents are here, at least temporarily. We have a lot of folks coming and we are now uh, getting reaching that capacity point. The province calling on Ottawa to provide more support to address growing immigration, worried that even though it was a tough decision for Lundstedt and others to leave B.C., coming back may be even harder. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. His trial came to an end nearly two weeks ago, but there's yet another chapter tonight in the story of Ibrahim Ali, who was found guilty of first-degree murder in the 2017 death of a young Burnaby teen. But telling the full story has not been easy. Romina Dea reports. Global News was part of a media court challenge to oppose a publication ban in this case of great public interest. We lost. The evidence now sealed. The public and the jury in the dark about the details. Justice Lance Bernard not providing any details Wednesday to support his decision. That will come at a later date. On December 8th, a jury found Ibrahim Ali guilty of first-degree murder in connection to the killing of a Burnaby teen in 2017. The case made international headlines. It was the biggest investigation in IHIT's history. Now that the trial is over, the media fought to have the veil of secrecy lifted on certain evidence so the public could get the full story. 
we cannot talk about the arguments made by the media on behalf of the public because that would violate the publication ban. We cannot tell you who wanted to keep the evidence secret from the public because that would violate the publication ban. We cannot talk about any specific details from the hearing because that would violate the publication ban. Ali's lawyers have filed a notice of appeal on 25 grounds, including, quote, abuse of publication bans. We cannot fully report on the details of that application because that would also violate the publication ban. Romina Dea, Global News. Langley RCMP are asking for help to identify the victim of a serious crash on Monday night. Officers responded to reports of a pedestrian struck by a vehicle near 268th Street and 26A Avenue. The victim was rushed to hospital with life-threatening injuries, but due to her condition, is unable to identify herself. The pedestrian is described as being in her early 70s, roughly 5 feet tall, 110 pounds and was wearing a black jacket, black shoes and had a foldable fabric shopping cart. If you can identify her, you are asked to call Langley RCMP. The BC Prosecution Service says no charges will be laid in relation to last year's deadly Christmas Eve bus crash on the Okanagan Connector. Four people died in that crash and dozens of others were injured. And as Troy Charles reports, some of the victims are frustrated by the outcome of the investigation. That's a bus. That's an e-bus. A bus trip home for the holidays with a tragic ending. I hope I've got all my T's crossed and I's dotted with the guy upstairs because I might be headed there right now. It happened last Christmas Eve. I might be lying if I said that it doesn't cross my mind pretty much every day. On Highway 97C east of Merritt, four people died and many more were injured after a bus operated by Alberta-based e-bus went off the road and flipped onto its side. Now just days away from the one-year anniversary, the B.C. Prosecution Service says no criminal charges will be laid. Saying, quote, this decision was made after the assessing Crown Council concluded that the charge assessment standard had not been met. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. I mean, um, I know that the, the four people who lost their lives, are that they're never coming back, and the multiple people that are permanently injured from this. Tyler Midgley was on the bus that night. He, along with other survivors, have hired Vancouver lawyer Stephen Ferguson as they seek compensation. Ferguson says the NDP's no-fault insurance legislation is forcing victims to take a different route. Normally that would be brought as a, a civil claim in negligence um, against the owner and driver of the vehicle uh, that was responsible for the accident. But in this case, uh, we're pursuing a similar type of uh, compensation or damages, but we're framing the claim in uh, a breach of contract. We reached out to RCMP looking for findings from their investigation into the crash. In a statement, they said, quote, as no charges have been laid, we're not in a position to confirm any details of the investigation. Gurkmal Rathor was also on the bus that night. He says the e-bus fishtailed three times before the incident. An e-bus should recognize that, like, you know, the roads are not great and we should probably not send this bus out. We reached out to eBus. They declined our interview request, saying what took place was an extremely unfortunate event. But out of respect for those impacted, they say it's not fair to comment on what took place last Christmas Eve. Midgley will be making the trip home again this Christmas Eve, but this time a friend will be driving. Yeah, eBus is uh, not in my uh, cards ever again. Troy Charles, Global News. 
A show of solidarity and support in court today for several of the female officers at the center of a proposed class action lawsuit. The women launched the legal action back in October to target gender-based discrimination and harassment in B.C.'s municipal police forces. Catherine Urquhart spoke with the female officers today and the male officers who back them. Here at BC Supreme Court in Vancouver, developments in a high profile and historic case. A proposed class action lawsuit by women police officers for discrimination and harassment based on gender. Perhaps most surprising, counsel for the plaintiffs indicated that they will be seeking a trial by jury. Some of the women officers were here today also here, two retired male officers wanting to show their support. I've worked with some fantastic police women over the years, and I know they may be facing some challenges, and if those challenges that they face were uncomfortable and wrong, then this is the right place for them to be. Many of the uh, people are in that courtroom. Uh, I've trained as a police officer because I've been at the police academy for the longest time, and, and I know them on a personal uh, level. So. I'm here to support them and glad it's uh, fighting in the courts and where the truth will actually uh, reveal itself. We're here just to show that we are dedicated to the process that's happening right now. So you're not stopping? Oh no, no, this is just the first of many steps and we're very pleased that it's finally here before the courts. It feels like a step in the right direction for sure. Um, we're not going anywhere. Um, we're not gonna put this to rest until uh, things can improve for members that are coming in and members that have been through this. The suit names 13 cities with municipal police departments, along with the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner and BC's Solicitor General and Public Safety Minister. In court today, there were approximately 20 lawyers representing all of the named parties. They have been ordered to file responses to the claim by February 14th. A decision on certification of the proposed class action lawsuit is not expected for about a year. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A Vancouver senior is recovering after defending herself against a naked intruder last night. Police say a nude man broke into the 72-year-old woman's home near Oak Ridge Mall by smashing a window with a pointed metal rod. The senior confronted the suspect with a shovel and chased him out before cornering him in his vehicle until police arrested him. Neighbors say the senior's home has been broken into before and the suspect picked the wrong homeowner to mess with. To hear about our neighbor fighting off an attacker, it's uh, pretty amazing. And she's pretty, she's pretty tough, pretty strong, and, uh, and uh, she's had to do it previously as well. So it's, uh, it's pretty amazing how she handles herself, how, how she protects herself in her home. If anybody thinks about ever wanting to break in her house, don't. <laughs> Neighbors say the senior was treated in hospital for cuts on her feet from the broken glass. 50-year-old Balraj Singh Rahal has been charged with break and enter and assault with a weapon. He remains in custody pending a bail hearing on Thursday. The health minister today addressed concerns about a film shoot at Peace Arch Hospital that sparked outrage last week. Our Keith Baldry joins us with more. Uh, Keith, it comes at a time when finding a hospital bed can be a challenge, mm -hmm. especially in the Fraser Health region. How did Minister Dix explain what happened at Peace Arch? 
Yeah, the optics, as they say, not very good here at a time. We've been doing stories, I've been doing reports uh, with information provided by Adrian Dix and the Health Ministry about the crowded hospital situation. Uh, f uh, locating a movie set within hospital grounds is bad optics. But again, today, the minister says, look, there was no beds displaced here. There were no patients affected. The area being used by the movie set was actually under a renovation, so there was no actual displacement of patients. Nevertheless, the policy of renting hospitals out to movies will be revisited. Here's the health minister. In this case, this was uh, surplus. It was uh, a small space. It wasn't being used, and so they allowed it to be used. We'll take a look about how much we do that in the future. But uh, if it was being used for patient care, it simply would never be rented out for a movie set. So again, back to the crowded hospital situation. It's expected to get a little better over the next week or so because uh, relatively fewer surgeries are booked over the Christmas period as people take holidays and people don't frankly want to be operated on, on Christmas Day. But then get ready for January. Talking to Mr. Dix again today, fully expect the record number of people in hospital to be broken either in the first or second week of January. We'll be reporting those numbers when we get them. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Right. A Vancouver Island family is devastated after making a trip to the Lower Mainland this week for surgery, only to have it cancelled two hours before it was scheduled to begin. As Angela Jung reports, it's just the latest setback in a seven-year wait for that young patient, and they're demanding accountability. Ethan Baldwin is back in his Courtney home, but he was expecting to be in Vancouver, recovering from surgery. Well, we got already. And then 30 minutes right before we were about to leave the house, yeah, we got a call. It's cancelled. Baldwin is living with scoliosis. The surgery at BC Children's is supposed to help straighten the spine. He's been on the wait list for seven years, prolonged due to the pandemic. If they had done it when he was younger, it would have been a one-day surgery in and out and be the quick. Now we're potentially a two-day surgery with the at-risk for paralyzation. Jennifer Lavoie says a surgeon called her to say a lack of ICU beds is why the surgery was cancelled Monday morning. We've waited so long, it's like almost being able to taste your miracle and, and then be told not again and home you go. It's deja vu. Last December, the same surgery was cancelled once they got to Vancouver. It's uh, very hard for my son who feels like the system has forgotten him for seven plus years. He doesn't count his emotional and physical well-being isn't important. I cannot believe that somebody travels all that way, is all prepped and ready to go for a surgical procedure only to be told that they're not going to have it two hours prior. That's not right. Health Minister Adrian Dick says he can't speak to the specifics of the case, but he will personally investigate what happened. We do take those steps to ensure that surgeries aren't delayed and surgeries aren't cancelled and they're only done and, and uh, it does happen. But um, we want to ensure that the surgery is conducted in the safest possible manner. Lavoie hopes by speaking out, extra consideration will be given to out-of-town patients. They do not realize the financial and emotional and physical burden this has placed on us. Angela Jung, Global News. He's a man with a very particular set of skills. We wouldn't have had the closure if it wasn't for him. Finding missing and murdered women and girls. When hope fades, he persists. The first in a two-part series, next on the NewsHour.
It's going to get messy. What's sure to be a sellout when the Whitecaps face off against the world's best later in sports. Also tonight, first it was inflatable Frosty. Now it's Santa, the Port Coquitlam bear battering Christmas decorations later. Right now, though, a family uh, near Prince George says a selfless volunteer helped find the remains of their daughter when other authorities couldn't. Chelsea Heron had been missing for more than three weeks when the tracker located her personal belongings, triggering a probe by the province's police watchdog. As Neetu Garcha reports, he has dedicated his life to helping find missing Indigenous people. He's known as Mukwa Bear, and he volunteers to travel across Canada to search for missing Indigenous people. He recently helped find the body of Chelsea Heron near Vanderhoof. Over the past four years, I've been about 15 searches. He says in some cases, it's dangerous work and has led to threats. We agreed to conceal his identity. I hitchhike from town to town. Now visiting it with Heron's grieving father. This is where my baby was. This is the site where Mukwa Bear found the 29-year-old's personal belongings on November 5th, two days into his search and more than three weeks after she went missing. Uh, right here is where you found her first stuff. Officers were called in and a police canine found her remains within about a kilometre of where she was last seen. Heron's cause of death is under investigation. The family feels the circumstances are suspicious. Found my daughter's wallet. Her ID, her clothes. They say Bear filled a gap when police didn't do enough. She was last seen leaving her father's residence here on Saika's First Nation during the early hours of October 11th. It took an outsider to come from far away to find her. We wouldn't have had the closure if it wasn't for him. And he doesn't ask for anything. Vanderhoof RCMP is under investigation by the province's police watchdog. The RCMP says its resources were engaged whenever possible and every lead was followed. They confirmed a volunteer was responsible for finding Heron's belongings, leading them to her remains. And these people prayed and I came. The man from White Dog First Nation in Ontario says a spiritual awakening four years ago guided him to this work. Why do you do what you do? Out of love. I'm not here to make friends. And I'm not here to solve anything. I'm here to look for, for your loved one. All he asks for is food and lodging. He's working to fundraise to help cover the costs of his travel and an ATV. Many times I feel like giving up, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to do this forever until, until I'm done on this earth. This is the Eagle song. He says it represents love. He sings half when he starts a search and only finishes the song when his search is over. A symbol of what his work is rooted in, traditional knowledge. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Saika's First Nation. Exposing the struggle of Vancouver Park Rangers. Our report into stress and burnout as they deal with endless tent encampments Get some response from the park board next. And no child should be left on the sidelines. The BC charity helping more kids get in the game, even as it struggles to stay afloat.
Well, no shortage of reaction to our report on Tuesday about a former Vancouver Park Rangers stressful experience on the job. Global News revealed 13 Rangers have left the program this year. Perhaps not surprisingly, it's become part of the debate over Vancouver Council's push to abolish the park board entirely. Alyssa Thibault reports. Did your heart break a little bit? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. I mean, I stood with people on the street crying with them. Former park ranger Amanda Gray told Global News the nature of the work is burning people out, saying it's now almost exclusively dealing with homeless encampments. That was a good 75 to 95 percent, especially in the first few months. The rangers come and they, they move them. Today, we heard reaction from the park board chair. I don't know that that's representative of all the, of all the rangers that, are, that work here. Because uh, I, like, I, I, we're down in English Bay right now. I walk the dog. I talk to rangers whenever I see them, and they do other things other than that. Brendan Bastiovansky does acknowledge that rangers' jobs have become more difficult, with more people sheltering in parks, but says the city isn't providing enough funding. If we have more rangers, then we can actually rotate them around, and they can do different parts. I think this shows the increasing complexity of managing parks across Vancouver. If approved by the province, the park board is said to be folded into city council and the ranger program along with it. ABC councillor Sarah Kirby-Young says it would be an opportunity to re-look at ranger roles. I think this is another example of where there's going to be an opportunity to better align the functions because right now we have City of Vancouver bylaw officers, we have park rangers. Global News has submitted a number of interview requests to park board management to speak about ranger operations and encampments. Each time that request has been denied. In relation to this story, the park board issued a statement this is what it says in part. We recognise that increased rates of homelessness has changed the balance of their work, saying it's difficult and appreciated. Clear. President of the union representing Rangers tells Global News the provincial and federal governments need to do more to help those living in parks. Vancouver Park Rangers, anyone inside? Alyssa Thibault, Global News. BC families have been hard hit by the rising costs of food and housing, but inflation is also having an impact on participation in kids' sports. There are many kids out there who, they can't, they can't play due to money. And it's, it's just unfair. That's Valerie Goslin with the group Athletics for Kids. It provides grants to help cover the cost of youth sports. Spending on teen sports averages more than $2,500 per child per year. And that doubles if you have a child in equestrian, hockey or skiing. Sports provide many benefits for kids other than simply keeping them out of trouble. We've seen that the performance of children who participate in sports is much greater or stronger in school. As a result, uh, it's increased, you know, many children's confidence levels. Athletics for Kids has seen a growing need for financial help, distributing five times more in grants to families in just three years. Just ahead, mending hearts. I fully believe that Dr. Alakabi has saved his life. A priceless gift at BC Children's Hospital with major improvements to the cardiac unit there. Also tonight, a Christmas hood ornament lost for decades and finally reunited with the lady who loved it as a child.
Traffic is moving well in both directions across the Patello Bridge this evening, but do keep in mind there will be intermittent lane closures later on for ongoing construction. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball Jackpot is $14 million, plus the classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. There's a horrific story of child abuse coming out of northern Alberta tonight. The children are all safe now, but a warning, some of the details are extremely upsetting. Edmonton police are describing it as one of the most disturbing cases of child abuse they've ever seen. Three adults are facing more than 100 charges in connection with allegations that seven children were subjected to years of physical and emotional abuse. The victims, who range in age from two to 13, were allegedly beaten, strangled and malnourished for years. Sometimes when it's been going on for so long, it's almost normalized with these kids. So they may not see that maybe this is wrong. This isn't normal for us to be going through. The accused are a man and his female partner in their 30s and a 25-year-old male family member. They're also facing allegations of animal abuse. Vancouver police have made 268 more arrests in their continuing crackdown on shoplifting. 31 weapons were seized and more than $100,000 in stolen merchandise was recovered during a three-week operation targeting violent shoplifters throughout the city. Plainclothes officers were placed in 30 retail stores working with store security guards to identify shoplifters. This is the most recent phase of the VPD's Project Barcode. A total of 939 people have been arrested, 94 weapons seized, and more than $291,000 in merchandise recovered since the start of the initiative last spring. What a lot of people don't realize is they think that, oh, these big box stores, uh, they're losing money, oh, who cares? Um, what people aren't really realizing is the people that are affected, the store staff that's affected. You have these innocent staff members being threatened with knives, with guns, with imitation guns. Most of the incidents in this operation occurred around the downtown core and near the downtown east side. Police say this won't be the last time the department executes Project Barcode. They plan to continue it in the new year. Well, more of the province's smallest, sickest babies are getting access to cardiac care at BC Children's Hospital as its surgical program ramps up. Erin MacArthur spoke with a mother who credits surgeons at the hospital with saving her son's life. You want to give him a snuggle? <laughs> Not entirely sure about this reunion. Baby Arlo. Doing very good. Not too fussed about seeing Dr. Alaklabi again. Mom, on the other hand, thrilled. I fully believe that Dr. Alaklabi has saved his life. Arlo Epp was born with a major heart defect. The blood vessels that go to the lungs were underdeveloped, and there was a significant hole that needed to be repaired. With so many complexities, the prognosis wasn't good. But the team was able to repair the structure of the infant's heart. The heart is almost normal now. This child was actually was not uh, meant to survive the surgery or anything. But, uh, but this is one example of the success story we have done here. Post-COVID, heart surgeries at BC Children's Hospital were affected by human resources issues. Surgeons left the program and surgical teams were pulled in multiple directions. The program stabilized last year with the hiring of Dr. Ala Klabi. The surgeon splits his time between the Stollery in Edmonton and BC Children's. We built something called the Western Canadian Network. 
that actually we almost like one center helping each other. The program has since hired another two surgeons and more kids are seeing their needs met closer to home. We're doing everything that we can to optimize the teams that care for the cardiac sciences children by looking at novel models for how we deliver care in the ICU, for example, to try to make the most of the time that we have surgeons and anesthesiologists. Arlo will need a few more heart surgeries as he gets older. His body will grow, the conduit in his heart will not. But hopefully they'll be a little bit less severe than the first one because Dr. Alaklabi has like rearranged his whole heart and made it fit. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Oh, Arlo. <laughs> very, very cute little boy. Still ahead, Santa gets run over by a black bear. Christmas carnage when a curious Bruin ruins the holiday decorations. And messy mania hits Vancouver when soccer's biggest star is coming to town. With less than a week to go before Christmas, ski hills around the province are usually covered in a thick blanket of snow by now. But as Grace Key reports, a long stretch of warm, wet weather has the mountains looking more brown than white and more runs closed than open. The local ski hills will need a Christmas miracle to get snow-covered mountains in time for the holidays with school letting out on Friday. At Cypress Mountain, only Easy Rider was open with no night skiing. I have to say I've never had conditions that were that bad, to be honest. They're not ideal, but I guess as long as the slopes are still open, everyone's having an enjoyment and having a bit of fun. Can't go wrong, really. Pretty sucky. <laughs> Not good. Mount Seymour paused operations for a day while waiting for inclement weather to pass. Even in Prince George, two of their local ski hills were closed. In Whistler, only about one quarter of the terrain was open, and some who did head to the hills didn't stay long. Oh, it's pretty bad. Uh, you can you can literally see the dirt over there on the on the run at the way out. We started off okay, but it got pretty slushy and soupy pretty quickly, which is why we're on our way back down. But the season is far from over and Whistler Blackcomb is hoping Mother Nature will cooperate. This weekend, in fact, forecasts are projecting cooler temperatures uh, with substantial snowfall occurring largely on Monday. Um, and while this is encouraging, you know, it, it, it may present some challenges to our patrol and mountain ops teams as they work hard to open up terrain especially given the recent milder temperatures and, and rain that we've received. For those hoping to hit the slopes over the winter break, there's still some uncertainty about the forecast. So we are forecasting a bit of a cooler stretch in the couple of days leading up to Christmas. It does look dry, though, during that time. And then after Christmas, we are tracking some storms to return to the coast, which are going to bring a lot of precipitation to the coast mountains. They will bring some warm air, though, so for particularly some of the North Shore Mountains, that may mean more rain than snow, but we will be tracking it as we get closer, as there's still a fair amount of uncertainty. Further inland, it does look a little bit colder, and so some of those mountains would likely see snow from these storms. Snow will be on top of the wish list for skiers and snowboarders this holiday season. Grace Key, Global News. What a difference a year makes. You remember yeah. what it was like I last do. year? I do, in that picture right behind Christy. Yeah, look at that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, a whole different ballgame. Today, we are seeing highs of 10, 11 degrees, periods of rain. And this was the day just a year ago. Uh, we had 24.2 centimeters of snow at YVR, but there were parts of the Metro Vancouver region that saw more. YVR was a total whiteout, as you can see, just last year. Thank you to Stan for that photo. And it wasn't just one day of snowfall. We actually had several days of snowfall. Whole different ballgame last year. So five centimeters on the 18th, four on the 19th, the 20th at 24.2. Uh, not as much on the 21st and 22nd, but we had another eight on the 23rd. And then if you're wondering beyond that sort of Christmas day, it started to warm up and we had an atmospheric river on the 26th, which just washed a lot of that snow away. We said several days of rainfall. Now, here's a look at what we're seeing and why we're seeing much milder conditions, partly in due to um, this El Nino effect, but also because we're seeing this westerly flow time and time again. That brings in that milder flow and sometimes that southwest flow. It allows those freezing levels to climb and we see rainfall across the region and really that's the trend. This weekend temperatures will come down but we're talking about coming down to near seasonal values before they soar once again. So yes we are hoping for some snow this weekend but it is going to climb the freezing level that is it looks like into next week. So here's a quick look as we head into Friday. This is the cold front that will bring the potential for snow uh, to the south coast area on Friday but overall the trend is looking mild and wet and certainly that's the case tomorrow. Five degrees in Prince George is an example with periods of rain. Showers expected in through the interior region and we're expecting showers as well. So tomorrow very light in terms of precipitation for the south coast area but Friday we're expecting periods of rain as that cold front moves across and will actually cool off throughout the day on Friday and staying cool into the weekend near seasonal before it warms up once again and we start to see rainfall. All right tonight's center wind is weather window coming to you from Smithers. Hi Smithers you know what? I don't think we've had one from Smithers. If we have, I don't remember it. So, Linda, thanks so much. That's a beautiful shot. Is That's it ever? good. You're getting the whole province engaged this week. That's good. Thanks, I Christy. Know, I love it. Yeah. All right, it seems a bear in Port Coquitlam might have made Santa's naughty list this year. Port Coquitlam resident Chase Dunlop sent us this video taken December 9th. The curious black bear lumbers across the front yard ending up in a tussle with an inflatable Santa, biting the lawn ornament before pulling it to the ground. The bear then makes off with the decorative Santa. Dunlop believes it's the same playful bear that was captured on a doorbell camera down the street a few days later. In that incident, the bear was intrigued by another inflatable decoration, batting at a snowman, though he didn't steal that one. He drags that one off somewhere. Well, we all need holiday decorations, right? So <laughs> now they got to be to feel festive. We have yep. to bear-proof those now too. <laughs> Crazy. I have a question. Yes. What is Couldn't it, Squire? This bear be hibernating by? Yes. Now? Yeah. yeah. We have brought that up. Yeah, we did bring that up last time. That was a couple of weeks ago. Hopefully, he's gone to sleep now, is or he, ten days he ago. Live in a noisy neighborhood. Like, what's going on there? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. So the uh, Whitecaps found out today that Lionel Messi is on next year's schedule, and the game is at BC Place. Uh, I think it's also um, something that, that people uh, are, are desperate for, to see him playing once. If he plays the game, if he's healthy, May 25th, and it would be one of the biggest soccer games ever played in Vancouver, right up there with uh, Pele when he visited Empire Stadium in the 70s. Also tonight, he made it all himself. 
A Christmas miracle with the return of a family keepsake lost for nearly 40 years. BC Place is happening. I was going to say, guess who's coming to town? Santa. Yes. You yes. are Will Ferrell. Sorry, that sounded a little bit like Elf, didn't <laughs> it? Yeah. He is coming to town, that is correct. But next year, well, I guess he'll come to town next year too. But before he does, there will be some big things at BC Place. What is it, Taylor Swift's at BC Place next year? Yeah. yeah. Rolling Stones are at yeah. BC Place next year. And Lionel Messi will be at BC Place next year. Well, at least we hope. Uh, May 25th, Inter-Miami, Messi's team is scheduled to play the Whitecaps now that's, of course, providing he is healthy on May 25th and also that he doesn't mind playing an artificial turf. Mind you, he was asked that earlier this year, and he said, no, I don't mind doing that. So with that, May 25th, if he plays, would be one of the biggest nights in Whitecaps history. The MLS schedule was released at 11 a.m. Wednesday morning, and the Lionel Messi frenzy started immediately. We've been working around the clock, um, and yeah, the phones haven't stopped ringing, the emails haven't stopped coming in, and our team uh, has been just inundated with requests. With single-game tickets not yet on sale for the Whitecaps match against Inter-Miami on May 25th, fans are all wondering how they can insure tickets to Messi Mania. The only option currently are season ticket member sales, so you can get your seat in the inner bowl. Uh, the lower bowl right now is open for season ticket memberships, which we're seeing a heavy influx of interest in that. It's a very, very good player on their team with uh, Messi, but uh, I think it's also um, something that, that people are desperate for, to see him playing once, and we are desperate to win against him once, and so I think it's a wonderful combination. The last time a soccer superstar played in Vancouver was earlier this month when Christine Sinclair played her final international match for Canada in front of 48,000 fans at BC Place, which was called Christine Sinclair Place for the day. Before that, 48,000 people showed up at the Dome to see David Beckham play a friendly against the Vancouver Whitecaps of the USL in 2007. And in the 70s, Pele came with the New York Cosmos to face the Whitecaps. After another successful Whitecaps season under Vanny Sartini, Inter-Miami's visit in May could be the highest attended soccer match in BC history. We've had a historical season so far. Um, our retention rate for our season ticket membership was at an all-time high. We also were tracking towards a historical year in terms of our new season tickets, even prior to the schedule release. So this has actually just inflated that even more. The rest of the MLS schedule was also kinder to the Caps. They won't have a seven-match road trip the way they did in 2023. It's uh, never easy in MLS with uh, the distances and the travel you have, but uh, I would say this, this schedule actually for the team that travels more than every, every other team in MLS, it's, uh, it's uh, also some form of, uh, uh, I would say, improvement to, to last year. You know, I keep thinking back to what Jim Rutherford said just before the Canucks season began. Everything has to go perfectly for Vancouver to have a good year. Well, everything is going perfectly. <laughs> players in the top 10 of scoring, multiple players. Brock Besser rediscovering the scoring touch we all thought was a thing of the past. Quinn Hughes, leading candidate to win the Norris Trophy as the best defenseman in the NHL. How about this? 19-0 when holding the lead after two periods. All those players 
Rutherford and Alvine brought in are working out as planned. That includes goaltender Casey DeSmith. We all know Thatcher Demko is the man. But you need a guy behind the guy. And DeSmith is that guy. And he was good again last night in that win over Nashville. I mean, it's obviously a great... Patrick made an unreal trade getting him. Um, but you know, obviously he stops the puck. He's a great... But I, I, his, he's one of the most well-liked guys in the room. He's uh, got a... I mean, he didn't start for two weeks. He's got a smile on his face. He's taking shots after practice. I mean, I mean that boosts the morale. And uh, Casey Smith is, uh, is one of those guys, high-character guy. Canucks play in Dallas tomorrow, the last game before the Christmas break. Now, the Canucks, of course, are one of the huge surprises of the NHL. Here's another surprise, but for all the wrong reasons. Alex Ovechkin, his pursuit of Wayne Gretzky's all-time goal-scoring record has slowed to a crawl. It's like father time is finally running interference for the great one. Ovechkin is 67 goals behind Gretzky, but he has only five goals in 28 games this year. His shooting percentage is that of a fourth liner. He's hitting on only 4.8% of his shots this season. He has not scored a goal in his last 13 games. Tonight he's playing the Islanders. Here he is, power play, set him up. Nope. He has five shots on goal tonight, but no red lights have been turned on. Things are going wrong for the great eight. There you go. Okay, thank you, Squire. No one outruns father time. All right, just ahead, a Christmas miracle with a woman finding a family heirloom she thought she'd lost forever. Students at a Delta secondary school have spent hours filling out thousands of Christmas cards, hoping to bring a little joy to those who need it most. The students at Siakwam Secondary have been filling the cards with heartfelt messages of hope. In the past four to five weeks, working after school and on lunch breaks, the students have filled out 2,000 cards. Waking up on Christmas morning, this might be the only gift that these people get. And, um, you know, these students who have written these cards, at first they might have thought, oh, this is not probably not going to do that much, but if every student write, writes a card, it does a lot. I want to be able to spread love and hope to as many people as possible. That's one of my aims in life overall, and to be able to do this just at a high school level, it makes me happy that we, I'm able to start off this way, and it's so easy for everyone to do that. The cards will be placed on shelter beds every night for the five nights leading up to Christmas Day. Love that kid. All right, the heartwarming story of a Christmas miracle is playing out in New Brunswick. A treasured family heirloom that went missing almost 40 years ago has found its way back home. Shelley Steves has the story. The festive bells are ringing loud for Krista Richard of New Brunswick. Oh, are you oh Mrs. Santa Claus. Who has experienced what she calls a Christmas miracle. We've been looking for it for 37 years. Let's go back to the beginning of this Christmas story when Krista was a wee little elf driving around with her poppy, delivering dry cleaning for the holidays. He used to have um, a Santa sleigh with all the reindeers on top of his truck and he made it all himself. 
which she hoped, along with this Santa suit, might become hers one day. And then one day, he said he sold it. To a co-worker who coincidentally shares her last name, who had been eyeballing it for years. Oh, I'd give my IT for it. <laughs> Doris scooped up that sleigh as fast as reindeer could fly, and that's where this story went awry. After her mother and grandparents passed away, Krista's family lost track of the sleigh, never having known who actually bought it. We gave up hope. Every Christmas, we always say, wonder what happened to Pappy's sled. The pièce de résistance. But this past week, it found its way home, thanks to a note that stayed taped to the back for nearly 40 years. She kept Mum's name, phone number, address on that sled. See, what Krista never knew is that Doris had promised that if she ever sold the sleigh, it would go back to the family. And I think he sold it to someone who he knew would take care of it. Doris's daughter managed to track down Krista on Facebook and 37 years later. I was in tears because as soon as I saw it, it brought back all these memories of my childhood. It's finally back home. So, uh, that, that, excuse me. Yeah, that really was, um, that was special. Shelley Steves, Global News, Moncton, New Brunswick. Amazing. Mm -hmm. All right, quick correction from Squire. Yes, I, I said the uh, Canucks game against Dallas was the final game before Christmas. That's the final road game. They also play a home game against San Jose. Then they get the open presents. That's good. And very unlikely there's going to be a white Christmas is what it looks like. Yeah, it's very, very unlikely. We're just hoping for snow in the mountains. Yeah, lots of it. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.